Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Jeff Yulden. Well, good morning, everybody. We're delighted to be with you this morning as we uh, open God's Word together. You may remember that prior to the Second World War, the little island of Guam in the Pacific, you know, Guam has come into the news lately, hasn't it? With Mr. Uh, North Korean man. Uh, The little island of Guam was controlled by the United States of America and then when uh, Japan arose it uh, took Guam from the United States and occupied it for a number of years until toward the end of the war America got it back again and for quite a while when America got it back they were rounding up Japanese soldiers and they put them into internment camps until the end of the war and when they were released back to Japan. Now in 1960 which was 15 years after the end of the Second World War a Guamanian was out in the bush when he thought he saw two Japanese soldiers. Now he thought to himself, that's impossible, the war's been over for 15 years. But he, wasn't, he, he was still convinced that he had seen them. So he reported it to the authorities. They believed him enough to send out a search party. And eventually they found two Japanese soldiers... When I was over in Guam recently, I had a look at their hideout. It's still there, where they dug themselves underneath the earth and they lived for 15 years like animals, hiding. And uh, when they were brought back, they uh, were told that the war was over, but they wouldn't believe it because you're told when you're a soldier that you never believe the enemy. They're trying to brainwash it, you see. So they wouldn't accept it, no matter what the uh, people told them, the officials told them that the war was over, they wouldn't believe it. They questioned one of them more and found out that one of them had a sister that uh, obviously was living back in Tokyo. So they uh, telephoned over to Tokyo and they told them what had happened and this man had a sister Could they find her because they would like to get her to try to convince her brother that the war was over? Well, they did find her and they got her on the telephone and uh, he wouldn't listen to her either. He thought that she was making up a story as well. So finally they said, well, there's only one thing we can do and that is we'll put them on an aeroplane and we'll fly them back to, to Tokyo. So that's what they did. And as the uh, aeroplane was banking round and coming in to land in Tokyo Airport and they looked out the window and they saw Tokyo in 1960. Remember, the last time they had seen it was in 1938-39. When they looked out the window, they could hardly believe their eyes. 
And then the plane pulled up and the family had been told that they were going to be there and they were there and they had a great reunion because obviously the family had thought that the brother was killed many, many years ago in the war. So they were greatly surprised to find that he was still alive. And I've often thought about that story because it's a true story. I have pictures of the man and you can Google it if you want to. You will, if you Google, uh, do what Andrew does and Googles everything by the sounds of things, fish and so forth, um, you will find that story is on the internet and they've got a picture of the man. You can imagine what he looked like after 15 years. Though he still had the same army suit on. They'd lived in that for 15 years. Well, I'm sure he hadn't washed it. Um, But I've often thought about that. I've thought about the regrets that they must have experienced when they got back to, to, to Tokyo and into their family home and they realised that they could have been living in this house for the last 15 years instead of living like animals underneath the earth. I've often thought about it. They must have been full of regrets. And it reminds me, of course, of the fact that God has a message in these last days, a message to bring reconciliation between God and man. And that message is found in Revelation chapter 14 that Gabriel read so well for us, um, often known as the three angels' messages. Called the three angels' messages simply because it's given under the figure of three angels. So let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 14, if you wouldn't mind. Let's have a look at this. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. What would you suggest that that's saying? If it's the everlasting gospel and it's going to be preached to every nation, kindred, tongue and people, that's a worldwide message, is that right? That's to everyone. So this is a pretty important message because it's going to go to everyone. And it's the everlasting gospel. It's not some newfangled idea that's been concocted in the last days. This is part of the gospel that's always been true. Only it's given in the context of the last days. How do I know that? Well, let's just read on. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which has poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. 
Then it finally finishes by saying, here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, what's all that about? You know, I meet people, when it comes to the book of Revelation, who who just throw it aside because they can't understand it. They say, why on all the earth is the Bible written like that? With all that funny language. Why is it written like that? Well, there's a very good reason that God put the book of Revelation into language like that, because it is code language. When we cast back our mind, when John wrote the book of Revelation, where was he? Yes, he was on the little island of Patmos. Now, Patmos to the ancient world was Alcatraz to the modern world. It was the most secure prison in the Roman Empire. And every troublesome criminal was placed on Patmos because nobody can escape from Patmos. It's out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So no one's going to get away. And John was considered so troublesome that they put him there on on Patmos. Now, the problem for John was that God gave him a vision, the vision of the book of Revelation, which he wrote down, but it wasn't any good staying in the prison. He had to get it on the outside. The difficulty was that if you're in in a secure prison, top secure prison, and you want to send something on the outside... What's going to happen if it does get on the outside? What will happen first before it ever gets on the outside? It'll be read, isn't that right? Yeah, it'll be censored because you might be trying to arrange for drugs to come in or, or some other subversive thing that was then in the Roman Empire. Get the idea? So the Roman soldiers read carefully what he was trying to send to the seven churches of Asia because that's whom the revelation is addressed to. So when the Roman soldiers read it through, they can make head nor tail of all this nonsense that's written here. They can't understand a single thing. So they conclude that there's nothing wrong with it, so they let it through. Because if God had written the book of Revelation in straightforward language, like much of the other of the rest of the Bible is written, then John would have been executed immediately because the book of Revelation foretold the Roman Empire's doom. And so to protect John and the book of Revelation, God put it into code language. Get the idea? Purposely to keep it from those who would do it harm. That's why it's written in the symbolic language. Now also, when we come down through history and we get to the Middle Ages, if the church of the Middle Ages had realised that the book of Revelation exposes their false teachings, instead of preserving the thing, the Bible, what would they have done? They would have destroyed it too, wouldn't they? Instead they looked after it because they didn't realise what it was all about. And so God purposely has kept the book of Revelation in a language away from those who would do it harm. 
But at the same time, he has given us the clues and he's given us the symbols and the meaning of those symbols in the rest of Scripture and sometimes even in the book of Revelation. But for those who are casual and those who are not interested, they would never pick it up. And God purposely did it that way. Otherwise, we would never have had the Bible and certainly we wouldn't have the book of Revelation uh, in our um, possession today. And the most important thing about Revelation, if you have a look at chapter 1 and verse 1, you'll notice there that the Revelation says that chapter 1, verse 1, it says it's the revelation of whom? Jesus Christ. In other words, the whole purpose of the book of Revelation is to reveal Jesus. Now, I don't know of any other book in the Bible that is more Christ-centered than the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ given by Christ to John through God, through to his prophet John. So if there's one book in the entire Bible that we as Christians and as Seventh-day Adventists ought to understand, it's the book of Revelation. Because it's, the, it's that book which gives us clues as to where we're living in the stream of time. It helps us to understand prophecy. And the reason God has given us prophecy is to encourage our flagging souls and our faith to build our faith up. Why? How does it do that? Because as we see things taking place in the world that has been predicted thousands of years ago, that encourages our faith. Isn't that right? And... This explains why the devil is doing his absolute utmost to downplay Daniel and Revelation. And it's even happening inside the Adventist church, let me tell you. Not only outside, but there are some among us who have become and say, oh, not all that, oh, those things again, not all those beasts and so forth. And it's a tragedy because... This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is not some made-up story. This is the message that Jesus has given to us, to the church down through the years, and particularly for the church that's living just before he returns. Because the book of Revelation focuses on Christ's second coming. And while there's a message for God's people all down through the years, no question about that, but it's particularly comes into very sharp focus at the end of time. Let's go back to Revelation 14 now and let's have a look at some of this strange language. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel. By the way, the word angel simply means message or messenger. Angelos in the Greek simply means message or messenger. And so under the figure of three angels, we have three messages. Now, why three angels? Why has this been given under the figure of three angels? I have a pretty fair idea that if John was writing today, he may talk about three satellites. Because, I'll tell you why. Here God describes a message that's to go to every nation, kindred, tongue and people, to John. Now, put yourself back 2,000 years ago, no aeroplanes, no internet, 
The only thing that John knew that could take a message all around the world would be an angel because angels could fly. And that's that's the, the way it's, it's given. Or An angel is able to cover distance. So under the figure of three angels are three messages. As I said today, if John was writing, he would probably use more modern language for us, satellites, because we all understand that. How a message can be taken to the entire world on a satellite. That's easy to understand. But poor old John never knew anything about satellites. So under it says here, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That includes every single human being on the earth. This message is a worldwide message. Not just an Australian message, not just an American message, not just a European message. This is a worldwide message. So that's the first major clue here. We're looking for a worldwide message that is not just centred on one nation alone. To every nation, kindred, tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Now most people, of course, think when they think of the judgment are very negative with the judgment because we imagine judgment like the court sessions that we have here in Australia, which is the adversarial uh, method. That's, that's the only understanding most of us have when it comes to the judgment. That's how we imagine a judgment, adversarial. And it's a pretty scary thought to go to court, isn't that right? If you've ever had to go to court, it's a pretty scary thing because it's... it's it's different, it's not something you do every day and um, so this is the picture that people have therefore as a result of that they are very anti-judgment but when I read the Bible I find that the Bible writers are absolutely all for the judgment they, they bring on the judgment the Bible writers say why is that so? because of this if you are brought up before the judgment, before, before the courts, and you know that you've got to come to the court, and you know that you are absolutely innocent, the judge has already told you that uh, you're going to be found guiltless, and here you are rotting down there in prison waiting for your day in court, tell me, if you are confident that you're going to win the case, it, when finally the judgment, your court, your day in court is announced, is that good news to you or bad news? I tell you, it's the best news you could ever hear, isn't that right? At last, I can stand before the court and I'm going to be vindicated. That's why in the Bible the judgment is such good news. And the Bible says that part of these three messages is the hour of God's judgment has come. At last, God's people are going to be vindicated. God himself is going to be vindicated through, the, uh, through, the, through his people. Because remember this, that God has been accused falsely down through the years by the devil. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And he has accused not only you and me, but he's also accused God of being unfair. 
and, and uh, being, making a, a law and making things that are just not uh, fair. In the judgment, God is going to demonstrate that he has acted fairly and that every person who is saved by grace is, uh, is, is, can be justified. And I wish I had more time to talk to you about the judgment this morning because one of the most misunderstood subjects today is the, is the uh, investigative judgment. And, I, and um, I, I tell you, there's nothing that's more thrilling and more wonderful and more Christ-centered than the issue of the judgment. But we've got to get through these three messages and uh, I can't dwell on the judgment only, much and all as I would like to. But part of this message is the hour of God's judgment has come. In other words, that's part of the message which must go to every nation, kindred, tongue and people. The announcement of the hour of God's judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Why would that be relevant? To worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. Why is that relevant today? Yes, because the theory that you are taught at university and most schools these days is the theory of evolution. Isn't that right? Hmm? You're an accident. Correct. Andrew? Yes. There's no purpose to life. It's just an accident. You're right. And... Um, so why not get the kicks of life that you can get because soon it's going to end and it's all over. So let's get the best that we think that we can get from life. You see, that's then the attitude of young people today, taking drugs and so forth. Live at high. Alcohol and so forth. But of course what they don't realise is that it has a sting in the tail and the sting is serious deadly serious but God's announcement here the hour hour of God's judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth now it's interesting one of the reasons that the devil hates the book of Revelation is because it exposes his his uh, evil ways let me just give you an illustration of that just come over to Revelation 16 and verse 13 chapter 16 and verse 13 and I'll show you the counterfeit Because just as God has three messages, do you know the devil has three messages going to the world? Let me read it to you. Look. Chapter 16, 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And the Bible says they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world. That's every nation, kindred, tongue, and people to gather them to that battle of that great day of God Almighty. Just as God has three messages under the figure of three angels, so the devil has three messages under the figure of the beast, the false prophet, and the dragon. God has his truth, and the devil has the counterfeit. And both are being preached at the same time and both are going to the entire world. So we're in the midst of a battle. We're in the midst of a, of a, of a controversy between good and evil. Christ is trying to persuade with those three messages of Revelation 14, 6 to 12. The devil in chapter 16 is trying to persuade humanity to follow him and he's using what methodology does the Bible say he will use to great effect how's he going to deceive 
people in the world, according to verse uh, 14. For they are the signs of miracles, yes. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs and miracles. That's going to be the methodology that the devil is going to use because people are very impressed with what appears to be something supernatural. Is that right? Very impressed. And the Bible says supernatural activity is going to be the hallmark of the way the devil is going to deceive the vast, vast majority of people in the world. So we've been told. Well, let's just go back to Revelation 14 because we could spend a lot of time on the counterfeit. That's another day's sermon. But today we're looking at the God's message. The second message, according to verse 8, is another angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, who's this Babylon? Is that the old city of Babylon? No, God said that would go down and never be rebuilt. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about the same system that was established in ancient Babylon is going to be evident in the last days under the name Babylon. And God is trying to show us very clearly the connection between that which was taught in the ancient city of Babylon and that which is going to be taught in the last days because it's going to be exactly the same religious system because Babylon was a very religious city we mustn't think of it as a as a pagan city it's pagan in the sense that it wasn't following God but it was a very religious pagan system very religious and it was set up as you will remember in opposition to God because God said go and inhabit the whole earth after the Tower of Babel remember go and 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 they said no we're going to build a tower and that was known as the tower of babel and uh, god had to then act again and confuse their languages and that's where we get all the different languages of the world from which is confusion you know if we were all to speak our language here and we've got a church that uh, has quite a different uh, Uh, character and uh, personality here, different languages Uh, will they all come from the Tower of Babel and God confused the languages and that forced people then to go and live in groups that they could understand one another and so Babylon represents confusion and the Bible says that Babylon has influenced the whole world in other words, it's a, it's a worldwide phenomena, the confusion that's associated with Babylon. Then verse 9 talks about the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, it's interesting that the third message concerns our worship to God. Now, when we, come, when we think about worship, what is the only thing that's associated with worship? Do we worship um, the Liberal Party? Well, maybe this is, this is Liberal territory here, so I'm safe. Um, or do we worship the uh, Labour Party? No, no, no. Even the most 
avid um, supporter of the parties, we wouldn't use the word worship in association with that. That's just not what we would do. Worship is associated with what? Hmm? Yes. In religion. Isn't that right? So the third message has to do with religion. And it's how we worship. That's the central issue. And of course, a lot of, been a lot of debate. It might I say even in the Adventist church over the matter of worship. And it has a lot to do with this whole thing. Worship. Because the issue is we either worship God or we worship the counterfeit. And that's why it's important that we find out how do we worship God compared to how is the devil worship? Because there's plenty of counterfeit. And one of the major clues is verse 12 because it sums it up by saying, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In other words, God's true people are identified as those who are faithful to Jesus and faithful to his commandments, whereas those who are unfaithful to God worship the beast and his image and receive his mark. So whatever the mark of the beast is, it's the opposite to keeping the commandments because these two things are put in opposition, one against the other. One group receive the mark of the beast, the other group are faithful to Jesus and keep his commandments. Get the idea? And every person is invited to to choose between truth and error. And the tragedy is, as you know, as well as I, that when you talk to people today about keeping the commandments, they'll tell you the commandments were done away with. Isn't that right? Just about, you'll hardly get the word commandments out of your mouth and they'll tell you that they were nailed to the cross. We're not under the law, but we're under grace now. Because Satan has so confused even Christians... I'm not talking about pagans now. I'm talking about Christians. Those who maintain that they have a relationship with God are confused over this very issue because the devil has made sure of it. Because the identifying mark of God's people is that they will love Jesus supremely, they'll have the same faith that Jesus had, and secondly, they will keep his commandments because the only person who can keep God's commandments are those who have the faith of Jesus. You can't keep the commandments in your own strength. No one can do that. But when we have the faith of Jesus, of course we can keep the commandments. That's why the Bible says here are those who keep the commandments. Um, um, Go and sin no more, Jesus said to the woman, taken in adultery. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. All through the Bible, God points out his people as those who are faithful to Jesus, faithful to his commandments. Those who are opposed are the very opposite. And we see this being displayed and, 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 and outlined in the very neighborhoods in which we work and those that we come in contact with day by day. And when you get involved with evangelism and, and, and uh, leading people to Jesus, you certainly are in the midst of this, uh, this conflict. And in these last days... There's only one group 
the only group that is preaching these three messages of Revelation 14 is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There is no other. Let me tell you, it's not a matter of being bigoted or being narrow-minded. Let me tell you, there's only one group in the entire world. No other church has this message. But this is the the heartbeat of what Seventh-day Adventism is all about. Comes from the center, the right, the message of Jesus. And that's why God calls us to be faithful to this truth. And I fear that even among some of us, there is a downplaying of the emphasis on, on our distinctiveness because we are distinct. We must be distinct. Because if I'm not distinct, or don't understand that I'm, I'm distinct, what stops me from going along to, uh, to those who've got perhaps a, a bigger band and, a, and they play louder and, and so forth? Going over to Hillsong or something like that. What stops me? Well, I tell you what stops me is this message. Because this message is not being preached by them. And never will be. Nor anyone else. God has given to us a special, special message. And it's right there in the center of the book of Revelation. No wonder God, uh, the devil hates the book of Revelation. And everywhere I go, I, I have looked through the writings of men like Martin Luther. You know, we've been talking about Luther this month. And, and God did a wonderful work through Martin Luther. He wasn't a perfect man by a long way. But he, he certainly was led by God to, uh, to do some very wonderful things. Um, but I've looked through the writings of Martin Luther and Luther does not talk about these three messages. I have looked through the writings of John Wesley, whom I regard as the greatest of all the reformers, the most balanced of all of them. John Calvin, who wrote a book on every book, a study, a commentary on every book of the Bible except the book of Revelation, because he said, I don't understand it. And he helped formulate the church that I was brought up in. Why is it that these men never understood these three messages? Is it because they didn't study their Bibles? I don't think so. No, I think they studied their Bibles very much so. In fact, if we studied our Bibles as much as they did, we would be even greater than we are. So I have great respect for that. Is it because they weren't very good Christians? No. Why is it then that they never emphasized these three messages? Why is it that Luther, good man that he was, never emphasized these three messages? Yeah, the time wasn't yet due. That's, that's, the, that's the answer. Because Luther lived, how many years ago? 500. Would it have been true for Luther to say, Jesus is coming soon? No. That's why God didn't give him that burden. Nor did he give it to John Calvin. Nor did he give it to Wesley, although Wesley understood more of it than any of the others. 
because he believed that the coming of Jesus was uh, about a hundred years after his time. He says that. Now, he wasn't far out when it comes to 1844. Wasn't far out. But he never understood it either. Not because he wasn't a good man. He was a very, very good man. Wonderful man. But the time wasn't yet due. That's the reason why they never discovered it. And so all of the churches that have come from then don't have this as their, as, as their platform. They don't have it as a burden because it wasn't discovered by those who began their organizations. But in these last days, God has, has a message, a message which is going to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. A worldwide message. And that's another thing that distinguishes us from everybody else. Is the fact that this is a worldwide message. And you can go anywhere you like around the world and this message is there before you get there. Doesn't matter where you go. God's message is there preaching. That's uh, why when I travel around the world, it's uh, it's a great privilege for to go to church. Um, even sometimes I don't understand the language, but I understand the heartbeat. You understand what I mean? Because Adventism has a heartbeat, the same heart that beats in uh, Spanish is the same heartbeat that beats in English, or German, or Croatian, or. Um, Chinese. Yes, a Chinese. You can't forget the Chinese. Or uh, African. Yes. Same message. Same heartbeat. And God wants us to be faithful. And, and we have a privilege. You are the custodians of God's truth in this part of the world. God has raised you up. He's called you to be part of that. And we must never forget that we're not just here on Sabbath morning to be entertained. It's important that we, on Sabbath morning, that we, that our spirits are revived. That's, that's why church is so, so important. But it's more than that. It's there to charge me up so that I feel under God's blessing I can go forth through the week and talk to others and share what Jesus is doing for me. And tell others about that. That's our primary responsibility. And you've got a job. God's given you a job, but that's not your major work. That just provides you with some bread and butter so that you've got time and money to share his faith. And same with me. That's, that's what God is calling us for. And I trust that God will help us to be faithful to that and, and to, to uh, understand the, the distinctiveness of what we're about. You know, over in England, when I was over there just recently, I was reminded again of, um, of um, a man in, in uh, Smithgates, which is um, today... Uh, there's the butchers, there's the big abattoir there, but... Uh, years ago is where they used to execute people you know we often 
get very intolerant toward what ISIS was doing, let me tell you, some of our history is no better. If you go back through English history, there's some very bad, bad things that happened there too. Very bad. It's quite an embarrassment when you read and study as to what was done in England. And uh, this man was, because he wanted to follow the Bible, he was going to be hung. And back in those days, they did it publicly, just like Saudi Arabia does it today, and we sort of are horrified. Well, let me tell you, British history is the same. And uh, they would, people would bring their lunch Sunday after, you know, and that would be their part of their entertainment. It's just dreadful when you think about it. Um, but that's, this is what happened. And he was just, a, they put the noose around his neck and he said to his doctor, because his doctor was allowed to stand alongside him, and he, in those days, you know how men used to wear a, a, a sort of a watch that was in their um, vest? And he un- hmm? Fob. Fob. Fob watch, yeah. So he undid it and he handed it to his doctor and he said, Doctor, have my watch. He said, I'm finished with time about to face eternity. And you and I are nearly finished with time. If I understand prophecy, then I'm getting pretty convinced that things are tightening up. Isn't that right? Things are happening in a way that when I first became an Adventist would have been unheard of. I would never have believed that things could happen like they're happening. And our liberties, you know, whatever happens with this vote... Um, one thing for sure, if yes gets up, don't you believe, you know, the thing that worries me about this whole thing is that there, there are some even Christians, and I, I would hate to think any Adventists, who would vote yes for the reason, oh, well, I, I don't want like, like that lifestyle myself, I'm not into it at all, but if people want to live like that, that's fine. Let them live. Now, I fear that that's the attitude of many in Australia today. They're not involved with it. Oh, if I want to live that way, I'm fine. But there's more to it than that. That's the surface. Let me tell you, underneath are liberties that are going to be taken away because the intolerance of this group of people is something to behold. And you and I are beginning to see some of the intolerance. You watch some of their... Um, um, parades and so forth and some of the most dreadful things that ever happen are happen between homosexuals let me tell you they are the most vicious to one another and if you think I'm exaggerating you do a little study on it and um, if you think that uh, heterosexuals have some problems well let me tell you it's nothing compared to what the homosexual lobby has one illustration of that is that fellow that uh, killed that young fellow that they just found recently. I forgot his name. You know what I'm talk- who I'm talking about? Someone can remember his name. He's been on trial and then he was given uh, immunity. For heaven's sake, I can't understand a person being given immunity. To reveal where the body was, oh, we'll, we'll give you immunity. That seems to be double dutch to me. Um, but anyway, that's what they've done. And, but that's an illustration of what I'm talking about. 
And there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots more stories like that. And we are seeing things today in a way that we would never have believed was possible even 20 years ago. Just watch all these calamities that are happening and read again in the spirit of prophecy which he says there'll be calamity after calamity after calamity. She talks about that. Never seen such so many cyclones or hurricanes, they call them, hurricanes in this part of the world. One after another. There's another one now looming up. Unprecedented. You've ne- you can't remember a single thing like that in your lifetime. Nor can I. But we're seeing it today. And God is giving us evidence upon evidence that uh, things are going to tighten up. And I believe while it is today, let's do the work of evangelism and lead men and women to Jesus. So I trust that God will help us. Help us to believe it and help us to live it and, uh, and share it with those who know it. May God bless you today. This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org. That's Wallara, W-O-O-L-L-A-H-R-A, church.org. Oh
To the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Hello, my name is Dr Kylie Smith. I'm an environmental educator. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
In this program, I'm going to look briefly at the role of environmental factors in heart health. I will explore the rational basis for the Bible's teachings on the environment. And I will look at how scientific research provides support for following God's plan. To look at the biblical ideal, we need to look right back at the beginning of our world, back to creation. We find the creation story in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And after God had created the world on the sixth day, we read about how God created people. So looking in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we read, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So here in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 to 28, we have an overall summary of how God created people. In chapter 2, we're given more details about creation in general and God's creation of people. Looking in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, we read, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we see here that God created people out of dust or dirt. And this shows us that there is a very close connection between people and nature in God's original creation. Where did God then place these people, this man that he made? And later on, we read about how he made the first woman. Where were they placed? If we have a look in verse 8, we see that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so we see from this that God placed people in a garden. And science is now revealing to us the benefits of the environment in which God placed people. In fact, there is so much scientific evidence. Today, I just want to speak briefly about a few health benefits that have been linked to natural environments. So in 1877, one of my favourite authors wrote, It is restful to eye and mind to range over the scenes of nature, over forest, hill and valley, plain and river, enjoying the endless diversity of form and colour and the beauty with which trees, shrubs and flowers are grouped in nature's garden, making it a picture of loveliness. So this quote points out that nature promotes relaxation and reduces distress. 
says right at the beginning of the quote, it is restful to eye and mind. There is a lot of peace to be found in nature, according to this author. This is very important because distress is a significant factor in health conditions, including heart health. And today we are hearing a lot about how much negative stress there is in our lives, especially in Western society. So how does stress negatively impact our heart? Well, one way is through adrenaline. Stress releases adrenaline, which increases our heart rate, causes blood vessels to constrict, alters the viscosity, or in other words, the thickness of our blood, as well as its clotting properties. All of these factors drive up blood pressure, increasing the risk of heart disease or stroke. And so science is now showing that the restful scenes of nature can help to alleviate negative stress. What can nature do? How can it help us? Well, some of the things that help are the sounds of nature. So flowing water and birdsong have been shown to have therapeutic benefits. Tree density and vegetated settings have been shown to elicit positive emotions. Outdoor experiences can improve calmness. They can reinvigorate and rejuvenate the mind, body and spirit. They can promote feelings of safety, opportunity, connection and pleasure. Contact with nature has been shown to reduce anger, frustration and aggression. And contact with nature also increases a sense of belonging and acceptance. So from um, this research that has been done, we see that nature in itself reduces distress. Now, activity in nature confers additional benefits. We often hear about the benefits of walking for health. And if we can do that out in the fresh air, then it's um, going to obviously have health benefits that we can't obtain from working in the gym. And studies have been done specifically on gardening and it has been shown to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. So we have seen that contact with animals and plants has positive effects on health. Join me next time when I discuss what can happen when we are removed from the environment God has created for us. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.